Listen now to the story of the birth of Jesus, taken from Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Let your baby boy calm a storm with his hand. Did you know that your baby boy was walked where angels trod? When you kissed your little baby, you've kissed the face. Oh, Mary, did you know? The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again. The lame will leap, the dumb will speak, the praises of the Lamb. Oh, Mary, did you know your baby boy is Lord of all creation? That your baby boy will one day rule the nations. Did you know that your baby boy was heaven's perfect lamb? The sleeping 
child you're holding is the great I And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told, what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. You know, each day in December, pilgrims arrive in increasing numbers to the village of Bethlehem. For many, it's a journey of a lifetime. They enter the ancient church of the nativity built by Constantine in 325 and then rebuilt by Justinian 200 years later. They look around and wait their turn to descend the stairs to enter the ancient cave that's in the hillside behind the church. Some come and read the story from Luke's gospel like we've heard tonight. Others sing quietly, Oh, come all ye faithful, or Silent Night, or that carol written by the American pastor Philip Brooks, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And they've journeyed to Bethlehem. How about you? Have you ever journeyed to Bethlehem? I've had the honor and privilege of being there three times, and and we're going again this next October. You want to be reverent and spiritual, but too often you're hit in the face with the gaudy trappings of man's religion. Bethlehem in Judea wasn't a large town, yet it was the center of many historical uh, events. Fifteen miles south was Hebron, the home of Abraham. Ten miles northwest was Gibeon, and and Joshua made the sun stand still there. Twelve miles west was where David slayed Goliath. Five miles north was Jerusalem. The hills around Bethlehem is where the flocks of sheep were kept that were used in sacrifices in the temple. 
Let me try to describe this to you. 10,000 or more sheep around Bethlehem. Bethlehem is uh, placed on a a kind of a rocky outcrop, and, and, and it's beautiful. There's pasture lands all the way around it. It's beautiful. You can sit up at a vista point right now and and, and watch out at those places on the grass. And you can see shepherds still working the land there. And it kind of rolls this way, and then it hits some rocks, and it goes straight up, and there is the church that was built on top of where they say Jesus was born. I don't know for sure, but I'll buy it. Trouble is they... Three different religions are trying to outdo each other there, and it gets full of gold and, and rugs, and uh, it's, it's quite the deal. Sometimes you can get kind of depressed going there. Crowds and crowds of people are there. It's hard for us today to go back and try to picture what it really looked like. Mary and Joseph loaded some clothing, some food, some water, and what little money they had and began the long journey to Bethlehem. There weren't any Burger Kings or McDonald's along the way. There were no Holiday Inns or anything else like that. Even if there were such places, they didn't have any money to pay for conveniences. So each day, taking probably two weeks or more on the road, They had to stop to rest often for Mary. They had to cook their own meals and bathe wherever possible in cold water streams or out of a wash bowl. And then they'd sleep on the ground and keep moving until they reached Bethlehem, all because of a census. Roman census uh, consisted of two parts. The first part, people had to give their names and their titles or rank or of any civil capacity that they held, the name of their employer, if they had one, their job title, the name of their wives, their children, their servants, their slaves, and the name and exact location and value of their estate or plot of land, according to the records of the Roman assessors. The second part uh, amount, uh, was the amount of taxes that were to be assessed And this was solely dependent upon the decision of the tax assessor appointed by Rome. Each assessor was instructed to get every bit of wealth possible from each citizen, whether they were rich or poor alike. These taxes would be collected in the form of money or crops or property or even at times family members. Kids were sold off to pay a family's taxes. The news of the census caused great concern for Joseph, for he knew that somehow he must make the long and very dangerous journey from his hometown to Bethlehem. The roads were long and hard, and robbers lurked behind rocks all along the way. This was not going to be a pleasant journey. And then to make matters worse, the woman Joseph loved dearly was nine months pregnant and in no condition to walk 70 miles. And so she'd probably have to ride, but that wasn't going to be much easier for he was too poor to own a cart. 
Mary would have to ride on the back of a donkey for the whole troop trip. At least that's kind of what some people think. You know the story. The inn was filled with beyond capacity. The inn was quite simple. Inns in those days have been described. There was a bottom floor, like the floor of the sanctuary there, and then about the height of where the three steps were, uh, there was another floor, and up here is where the people stayed. Down there was where all the animals stayed. Along the floor, periodically, they dug out places where they would put hay and food for animals so that they could come just and eat. Uh, there was a step, a stairs, possibly, sometimes just a ladder, up to where the people stayed. And, and there was straw placed up on there, and you took your blanket and laid it down, and that's where you stayed, in the best inns in town. That's the kind of inn that Mary and Joseph went to. There was no room for them. It was the census. Everything was crowded. And so Mary and Joseph couldn't sleep up here with all of the riffraff. They had to, if we understand it clearly sleep down on the main floor with the animals. And baby Jesus was placed in the manger or a dugout feeding trough where he could be protected. Now, I know some people say there was a cave behind the inn and all of that. Good, all possible. We don't have any word about any of this in the Bible. There's not a word about Mary riding on a donkey. There's not a word that there were any animals in the, in, in the stable, uh, wherever that was. Uh, there's a lot of things that we've just added to because, well, we want to make the picture of the baby Jesus, uh, where he was born and how he was born, a little easier for us to accept. It was stark, it was smelly. It was dirty. And the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God's holy child, was born into man's filth because he come to redeem the world of its sin. The baby Jesus became the way in a manger, the way to salvation for all men. Just as God the Father had planned from eons past, Christ was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. That's what Bethlehem means. Why? Because there were lots of fields where they would gather wheat and barley and other things and oats and they would make bread in Bethlehem for Jerusalem, the house of bread. So now it's interesting that Jesus, when he's older, says, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger. John 6, 35. The story of Jesus begins by God's action. The greatest single verse, I believe, in the entire New Testament summarizes the real meaning of Christmas. It's John 1, 14. Let me read it to you. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
Christmas is God's action, not ours. At the heart of Christmas, there's the good news of a God who communicates to us through his Son. The world's deepest needs are met in that baby that was born in the manger that night. It's time, I believe, again for us to journey towards Bethlehem in our lives and our faith walk. So walk with me for just a moment in your mind. In Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, walk through the narrow streets, notice the flat-roofed homes, look into the faces of the people there, sense the fearful atmosphere of that whole place. What do you see in the eyes of the people? What do you hear in their voices? What is the reason for this apprehension and fear? They've wanted a king, and now they have a baby king. What do I perceive as a threat to my life? They understood what the threat was to their life. What is it that keeps me awake at night? Why is this town still in the grip of terror? It's because Rome is imposing another census and getting ready to tax them heavily. Now, can you move from Bethlehem to the interior of your own life and raise some of the same questions? What's the dominant feeling in the depth of my own life? What I perceive as a threat to my life? What is it that keeps me awake at night? What's the real source of my fear? Some of you can pick it up right away, and others of you, it may take a while. The journey to Bethlehem speaks to the reality of our fear. Philip Brooks, in his carol, says, The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And the big question is, which is going to win? Which will prevail in my life, the hopes or the fears? The way the Lord would have us prepare as we move forward, the way to defeat our fear is not sentimental diversion from real life. It's not sacrifice to impress someone else. Many people make sacrifices at Christmas time. We're tempted by relentless advertising and pressure to prove ourselves by the gifts that we give. We're led to believe that we can buy acceptance and purchase affection. You ever done that? Are you doing it this year? How many different kinds of perfume or cologne promise you that they will be irresistible? Just splash some of it on you? How many different toys for big kids or small ones promise you endless appreciation from that someone? God's word to us today is consecrate yourself. Just like Mary and Joseph did. Now, our English word for consecrate comes from a great Hebrew word which means to dedicate or set apart a thing or a person for sacred purpose related to the service of worshiping God. God doesn't say in the midst of pressures and problems, hide yourself or defend yourself. He says, consecrate yourself. That's the only answer to fear. Young shepherd boy from Bethlehem found that to be true. He wrote, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. That's what Christmas is really all about. Emmanuel, God with us. And the only response that we can have is to come and consecrate ourselves in worship 
to the newborn king. There's so much I really want to tell you today, but I want to tell you a quick story. It's about George Mason. He was consumed with his work. He lived alone, which only added to his work addiction. He had very few friends, and every Christmas, though, he was invited to spend Christmas Day with a family, but he always declined. One Christmas Eve, after all his employees left the business, George went into the office vault to put away the office cash. To his shock, the heavy door uh, closed behind him and locked. Desperately, he tried to get out, and no one heard him. No one knew he was in there, and even the custodian had already left. He thought, okay, I'm stuck here till the morning. But then he remembered that the next day was Christmas, and no one would be in. He panicked. At least there was a vent to let in fresh air, so all would be okay. On the day after Christmas, early in the morning, the chief cashier arrived, and as his routine, he unlocked the safe but didn't bother to open the door. And George, who was exhausted, faint, thirsty, and hungry, exited the safe and went home. And he ate and showered and shaved and came back to work, nobody suspecting anything. Life went on as usual, except for one thing. George missed Christmas. Can you believe it? He missed Christmas because the door to the safe closed behind him. He's the only person that I've ever heard of that missed Christmas. But do you know what's more common? There are people who miss Christmas every year. People who buy, receive presents, decorate their homes and trees and make appearances at the appropriate number of parties, church programs, have the big dinner and open presents with the family, but miss the opportunity to savor the splendor and contemplate the mystery of God's love made visible in a little baby boy. I'm talking about all of you who never get around to shutting the door to the outside world so you can fully experience the wonder of Christmas. You're missing the amazing fact that God of the universe actually came to us as a baby and ran the human rat race with us. Well, the shepherds didn't miss their chance. They got up and ran to see the baby. They found him. And they were overwhelmed by what they experienced and shared with people on their way home. It can be the same for us today. Do you want to experience a divine encounter? Then close the door on business as usual in your life. The shepherds weren't afraid to leave their work at the office, I mean on the hillside. And they went to Bethlehem in search of a baby wrapped in rags, lying in a feeding trough. I know that some of you about now are saying, but Randy, you don't know what I do, and I've got all of this extra work. I can't leave my work at the office. I've got to bring it home and work, even tomorrow. There's still, some of you are saying, but Randy, there's still so much to get done around the house before the family gets here for the meal. How can I stop? And to all of you, I say, what is really more important? A Martha Stewart home? Or an inch more paperwork completed on your desk? Or 
a divine encounter with the living God. Maybe this year the divine encounter will happen with you and your family around that table. God often uses children to teach us how to have real faith. It was only four days before Christmas. The spirit of the season hadn't yet caught up with me. Even though cars packed the parking lot of your local discount store, inside the store, it was worse. Shopping carts, last-minute shoppers jamming the aisles, crashing into each other, and you wonder, why did I come today? Feet ached almost as much as your head did. My list of, uh, contained names of several people who claimed they wanted nothing, but I knew their feeling would be hurt if I didn't buy them anything. Hurriedly, I filled the shopping cart and proceeded to the long checkout lines. I picked the shortest line, but it looked as if it would mean at least 20 minutes. In front of me were two small children, a boy about five and a younger girl. The boy wore a ragged coat, enormously large, tattered tennis shoes jutted far out in front of his much too short jeans. He clutched several crumpled dollar bills in his grimy hands. And the girl's clothing resembled her brother's. Her head was matted, a mass of curly hair. Reminders of an evening meal showed on their small faces. She carried a beautiful pair of shiny gold house slippers. As the Christmas music sounded in the store sound system, the girl hummed along off-key but happily. When we finally approached the checkout register, the girl carefully placed the shoes on the counter. She treated them as though they were a treasure. The clerk rang up the bill, and that will be $6.09. The boy laid his crumpled dollars on the, on the stand, and, and he searched his pockets, and he came up with $3.12. I guess we'll have to put them back, he bravely said. We'll come back some other time, maybe tomorrow. With that statement, a soft sob from the little girl. But Jesus would have loved these shoes, she cried. Well, we'll go home and we'll work some more. Don't cry. We'll come back, he said. And I quickly handed $3 to the cashier. These children had waited in line a long time. And after all, it was Christmas. Suddenly, a pair of arms came around me and a small voice said, Thank you. I said, what do you mean when you said Jesus would like the shoes? And the little boy answered, our mommy is sick and going to heaven. Daddy said she might go before Christmas to be with Jesus. The girl spoke. My Sunday school teacher said that the streets of heaven are shiny gold, just like these shoes. Won't mommy be beautiful walking on those streets uh, to match with these shoes? My eyes uh, flooded. As I looked into her, her, her tear-streaked face, yes, I answered, I'm sure she will. Remember that God is the one who gave up everything for us. By doing as he would, we can encounter him this Christmas season. So what can we do? Well, let's start by turning off the TV tonight, sitting by the Christmas tree, maybe listening to a couple of Christmas carols 
and silently whisper your heart's wish list to the Lord. How about it? Will you head to Bethlehem and make some time to allow a divine encounter so that your life will be touched by the living God? Let's pray. Almighty God, would you help us to take time tonight to spend a little time with you. And we know you'll help us get done whatever we need to get done tomorrow. But the most important thing is that divine encounter with you. That we head to Bethlehem, that we experience Bethlehem's magic and love and grace. So, Father, I pray for this congregation, that you would lead them and guide them. Thank you for your love for us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.